Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk about Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. As you already noticed, Zach is not introducing the podcast today, because today marks the day where I, Andres, take over. Now, I'm, I'm honestly kidding. Zach is currently fighting the flu, and he feels and sounds awful. And Psalm is preparing for a major test so that he can finally be done with law school and be a full-time lawyer. So please send your well wishes to both of those guys as they really wish they could be here to fulfill their duties. But the truth is, I'm probably just the most committed out of the three of us to our beloved Chelsea. But anyway, in their absence, I've recruited friend of the pod all the way from the Big Apple. We bring you guys Bobby Meinhold. Bobby, how are you, man? I'm great. Excited to talk about about the win. Yeah, we'll we'll be focusing on the win because last week we had two matches. So midweek we had the Carabao Cup match against United. And to be honest, I don't want to spend too much time on this one. It wasn't the best performance of the season. We probably deserve to at least go to penalties, but a wonder free kick from Rashford kept us from that. But aside from the general disappointment of losing to United, Bobby, is there anything specific you want to add about this match? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's just not fun losing, but I feel like things are going so well at the moment that it's just like, eh, it's a cup match. We got to play a lot of the kids, like or or a lot of the kids that aren't playing already, uh, and the kids look good. You know, you had Rashford, you had you know Rashford do two things he doesn't ever do: free kicks and penalties. He's bad at both of those things and miraculously pulled off both of them against us. So, you know, what can you do? Yeah, it, it wasn't our best game, but at the same time, like you said, losing because of a spot kick and then a ridiculous knuckleball that happens once yeah. in a blue moon. I, I can live with that. Uh, I just want to add that I thought Gilmore did pretty well, but... Yep. Uh, without the Carabao Cup, I, I truly feel we can give this current injury-filled squad some extra rest so that we can continue that fantastic league form you were talking about, as well as the Champions League campaign that's going strong. So, enough about United. Let's get into the game that we really want to talk about, this Saturday match against Watford, where our Blues beat the Hornets 2-1. to one. So, as usual, I'll start with the starting 11. We had Kepa in goal. Aspie on the, as right back, Zuma and Tomori, the pairing at center back, Emerson coming back as the left back, then Jorginho and Kovacic as the double pivot, William Mount and Pulisic right behind Tammy Abraham as the lone striker. So Emerson finally appeared after, honestly, a very ominous media silence. I, I still don't know why we never really spoke about him or what the deal was there. But aside from Emerson, Bobby, are there any surprises? Uh, not really. I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of rotating with the wingers now. Uh, so it's just kind of who's fit, who practiced well, who played well the match before, um, resting people. So I think Emerson was, was the only surprise. And I guess it was only a surprise, like you said, because he, uh, we didn't know what was, what was going on with him when he was going to be back, if he was healthy. Nobody really knew. Yeah, the only reason why I thought he might be in this is because he posted a picture saying that his comeback was 
like near. So I was like, okay, there that must go. mean yeah. that he's coming back. But um, before we get into the performance of the weekend, I just want to get the VAR discussion out of the way because it honestly just put a smudge on what I thought was our best performance of the season. So I'll just get right to it. We can agree that this was probably the worst VAR review yet to date. I mean, the late it was a late call to get the VAR involved. The actual review took like eight minutes, just as the Premier League commentators were saying that VAR would now be used for obvious mistakes. And if it takes you about eight minutes, then it obviously wasn't an obvious mistake to review. Plus the fact that Delafeo dropped to the ground about a step and a half after the initial contact. So, I mean, Bobby, is there anything else you want to say about how awful that this specific event with VAR was and, and overall its implementation in the Premier League? I just don't understand how they can get this so wrong. Like, this is a thing that more or less in every other sport, most of the time it gets it right. Like, there are a handful of times in the NFL, in the MLB, uh, it, whatever, where they get it wrong after review even. But usually they get it right. And, like, the the clear and obvious error, like, that's a rule in every other sport as well that has review. And usually, like in the NFL, you see it all the time, play stands, play stands, because they don't have evidence to overturn what they called on the field. And, like, I don't know in this in this instance and in a, a million other instances I've seen VAR, uh, what they see to, to clearly overturn what they said on the field. Like, what did he see in the replay that was like, oh, like, yeah, De La Feo got fouled. Like, that's a pen. <laughs> like, what what yeah. did he see in the review that was like, oh, yeah, this is this is what happened. Like, I don't I don't understand how you can watch that again and be like, oh, yeah, no, this is the right call to make. Right. And, and I think a part of it is, you know, people watching it in slow motion. Slow motion makes any sort of, you know, hit, contact, whatever, a lot worse than it is. But I agree with you where, where VAR right now with just saying goal, no goal isn't enough. I think they should kind of learn from the NFL and do, like you said, it if the ruling of the field stands, that means there wasn't enough evidence to flip it or if the ruling of the field is confirmed it means that what they reviewed made the the initial call correct so at least giving the fans that extra bit of info to know what the team which by the way is off location so that the the main referee is not even going under the hood to kind of watch video so he doesn't even get to do anything there i just think right now the the biggest issue with VAR, apart from the fact that there's no consistency in the calls, is that it just feels like it's there to fix the mediocrity of the referees when it should be an added tool to their belt, not a a kind of crutch to their performance. And, and that's my biggest issue with it. Obviously, this time, the fact that it deflated the whole match's momentum and it flipped it upside down to make those last, what, 10-ish, 10 minutes yeah. awful. It, it, that's what really bugged me as a fan. But as, as an unbiased overall VAR opinion, I, I really just think they need to just bring in 
I, I can't remember where I heard this. I think it was London is blue. They were saying just bring in a new batch of referees who are now training with VAR in the scope of what refereeing is because these current EPL referees are just below the standard of what you expect from the highest level of competition. So that, that that's all I have to say. I don't know if you have anything to add, but yeah, VAR has just been a, a big, big failure in the Premier League for me. Yeah, it's it's been bad. It's been very bad. But to flip the page, let's move on to this amazing team performance. I honestly think it was our most complete and dominant performance this season, so I'm just going to run through these numbers real quick. 67% possession, 711 passes completed, 10 shots on target from a total of 16, and Kepa only had to make two saves all day. The second of those, an extremely clutch save to clinch the three points. So let's just get to it. What was your thought in this match? Um, I I thought we looked great. I mean, honestly, the the thing that like it, like the score line just doesn't do it justice because like obviously the saves like Foster was incredible, um, and I like I it just. It feels like we keep on like a new wrinkle comes in every match now. Like we do something different, or like somebody comes out and does something different. But the thing that I really like is that like one, there's always one player that does something really well and gets the man of the match. It's not like Pulisic every game, or Tammy every game, or Mason every game, or William, or whoever. Like it's someone, someone different every match is making a huge impact and is really like standing out where it used to be like we're right. kind of like holding on for dear it's life all and, and eating as, exactly as we're used to hazard bagging every man of the match because well, it seemed that was the only way we would win a i match. think i think as fans we were doing that but i think the players were also doing that it was like Definitely. you know it's nil nil it's one one and we need someone to do something and the players kind of look well uh, eden like you know come on let's 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 have you go do some magic and score a goal. But like now, you don't have that one person that's going to take a game over. And and I think it's made everybody better. I mean, like I think a really good example of it is is Tammy. Like has completely evolved. I mean, I didn't watch him that much last year, but him as a player, like like the assist he had was was awesome. And like I, I just feel like like and like I've never seen uh, Pulisic play so aggressive. And like. I, there's just so many people like evolving in so many different ways because they're forced to yeah. do something. Yeah. Like they're forced to play differently than they would have, if Eden was here. Right. And you know, going into this season, we were talking, we, you know, the guys and I on the pod were talking about what is it going to look like? And statistically speaking, you can't usually just replace goals, but the optimist in me kind of talked about what we were saying is when you have this kind of, otherworldly figure on your team like Eden Hazard was who just terrorizes the Premier League and just has this aura around him other players in the pitch are going to feel as a beta to the alpha and you always had to go to Eden and through Eden and everything had to go through him I mean sorry even said at some points that you know his football is was never going to work because Eden was part of the team and he didn't mean it as a bad thing but I mean, we were one-dimensional back then. And while I while I know 
and we've been seeing it in the past how hard it is to replace your creative and main output kind of player. I just hope that what we're seeing now was what would come out of it. And you're right. I mean, you have Willian playing the best football of his life. You just talked about a striker of ours crossing a ball yeah. to, to assist a goal. I have yet to see that sort of – that's like a Man City-style goal is what I would call it. The fact that our strikers are doing that, that's fantastic. We're having a double pivot of the two most hated players last season, potentially being the two top performers, I would say, of this match. There's just so much cohesion. Oh, we have two center backs who had never played with each other being fantastic. It's just, I know that when I was talking earlier about just Hazard and everything going through him, there's just this, while the team knows how they want to attack, I don't think that our opposition knows how to prepare for us because there isn't just one thing that they could do. Because if they think, oh, we'll just need to get Tammy out of the game, well, Mason Mount can make runs past Tammy, or William can have a moment of brilliance, or we can sub in Cho, or heck, we take Tammy out of the game and put a totally different profile forward in whether it's Mishi or Giroud. There's so much more, but in this performance specifically, I just thought that the center back and our two double pivot midfielders, their play in possession and their calmness and and poise on the ball to to make sure that we never just kick the ball away to clear it, but rather possess out the back, I thought was fantastic. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen that great a possession and, and just organized. And, and again, they would be pressed by three players against two, and they would still feel like they were the ones in control outnumbering the opposition. I, I just don't know how to explain it. Jorginho and Kovacic, I believe, together – uh, amounted for about 22% of the possession of the whole match. Watford has 33%. Insane. And Watford as a team had 33%. So, yeah, I just thought that, obviously, apart from that, those four players moving, the communication also has to work with the other players to be ready for when the outlet pass comes. Because every time that the outlet pass left, we were on the prowl. So the transition from the back to the front was almost perfect because I do have to say that VAR would have never been called if we would have not messed around that late yeah. in the game in the box. But I thought that was the biggest thing for me. It's just the play from midfield to kind of our own half was amazing. Like mouthwatering football and fluidity. Um, so to what you were saying uh, about, you know, them playing well out of the back, I think that uh, before Zuma's loan move to Everton, I always thought he was just like your classic, like win aerial battles, you know, bully people off the ball center back and was kind of awkward on the ball. And like now he's even not, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, he's, you know, going to ping 70 yard balls across the field, but he's not awkward on the ball. Like he used to be like, even he's evolving like Tamori is fantastic on the ball. Um, Kovacic does not give the ball up at all. Like, all all of these things that I didn't... Like, I was a, a hater for sure with Kovacic. I, I thought the... And I still think, like, one of the only reasons we signed him was because 
like was out of necessity. He was the and, only option, right? Yeah, and and I was like, if if we didn't have a transfer ban, I would have been like, oh, this is just stupid. Like, why waste money on this? And I'm wrong. I was so wrong. He's he's been awesome this year. And like, I think I was I was watching George Benson's YouTube channel after the game, and mm-hmm. he he said the same thing. He was like, you know, not I, I like not to knock him, but like, what do RLC and 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 Conte do to break into this? Like, you don't want like not obviously Conte is like the best defensive mid in the world, but how like do you break this up? Like, what do, what do you do? It's <laughs> like it's rough, man. It's rough. You like I I see. So you got cut off for a second there, but I think you were saying that RLC and Conte coming back into this side. What does Lampard do? So. Yeah, it, it's a tough one because right now these two guys are are kind of just meshing in a way that we never saw last season. Not sure what Lampard did that that Sorry didn't, but it it's tough, man. You have those two. It goes even further again, and we say this almost every week because Rudiger is almost back to 100% health. Yep, he's another one. Emerson like- and Alonso, that's a more taxing position in terms of overall uh, – a stamina in that because they have to cover much. So them rotating, I'm not too too worried about. But yeah, we're talking about RLC who going into the season, I thought he was going to be one of our most important players. And Conte, who for sure has been our most important player the past two seasons. They, <laughs> What do you do? Because you take, let's say you go back to a 4-3-3. Well, I feel like Mason Mount has been very important as well in terms of yep. how we press. So you you now you now have to be thinking okay whenever these new guys come it's going to be a, even another different look we we might be switching back to a 4-3-3 and then you have Jorginho RLC and Conte and then in the 4-2-3-1 you have Jorginho Kovacic and Mount it's it's insane it sucks because one of the fan favorites of the moment of this winning form will eventually make way or vice versa your favorite player who's been unfortunately hurt might not get a run in as much as you'd hope for but again it's a good problem to have it yeah it's definitely a good problem to have so as we kind of get into the individual performances who was your man of the match for this for this game uh well probably zuma i think zuma zuma was so good and i i think that he yeah, Zuma was fantastic. Yeah, he won so many aerial battles. He like he just was a wall, and it's nice. Like he's another person. I didn't really expect much out of him this year. I thought that he may have been sold if we didn't have the transfer ban. Like I mean, he's just a guy. I was like, eh, like you know, we'd probably sign somebody and move on with him or move on from him and. Like, mm-hmm. here he is. Like, good thing we didn't because he's playing fantastic. And, like, I think our back line just gets stronger every game. But but he really stood out uh, this last game. Uh, definitely. So, to run through his numbers, you're right. He did win a lot of aerials. He won six. And he won all six of the aerial duels he was in. Yeah, he just didn't He lose. had six clearances, four interceptions, seven recoveries. And earlier you were talking about his ability to ping the long ball. He had five accurate long balls just this match. And like that's not him. Like that's you know like that's that's not what he 
like used to do all like it just it feels like he's evolving and like this was kind of like this this last performance was kind of like that like showing everything yeah. that he's done up to this point and, and added to his game and, and i think part of it too is whenever we first saw zuma in chelsea blue we were in a very counter-attacking system under Mourinho, yep. where him and terry were just very deep just clearing the house whenever things would come so a lot of what we saw with Zuma was him catching up to forwards and botting them. Specifically, yeah. I remember him pocketing, you know, Harry Kane and and Sergio Aguero in those seasons where he was just impossible to get past. But now, I think football has changed overall too, where you know, managers and teams are asking center backs to be the first creative source. And luckily, Zuma has the technical ability to make a longer pass and to find, uh, you know, a split ball to find a midfielder. And so, yeah, he has evolved a lot from when we got him as a 20-year-old. And, you know, things are only getting better for him. And, you know, I, I think maybe a month ago I was saying that he might be sold. Regardless of his form, I would think, oh, yeah, you know, Rudiger comes back. But now I'm thinking – I don't I don't bench these two center backs even with Rudiger and Christensen. Like we're talking about the midfield kind yeah. of being tough. I, I don't change the center back pairing because whenever you have that and you talk about the back line getting better and better and better, I just remember thing times like when when he came on that awful season, him and Terry were building a partnership. That was kind of the slight improvement before Mourinho got the sack. I'm thinking of the back three under Conte when we he finally found his back three in that season, how solid that was. Then you think of teams outside of Chelsea like Simeone's good Atletico Madrid sides. He had a back four and a keeper that was automatically chosen basically week in and week out. So when when you have that just you know where your when your line moves forward. You know when, you know, if Tomori gets stepping out, Zuma knows that he has to cover. Uh, when your fullbacks dart forward, you know where to position yourself. So, yeah, he had a fantastic game. I thought he was a good shout. Uh, my man of the match, to be honest, had to be Ben Foster. <laughs> if I don't I mean, have to yeah. pick a, a Chelsea player, because you're right. There's there is zero reason why we couldn't have ended this game with four goals. Mason Mount had a fantastic shot. The header Pulisic, from Pulisic. Like, yeah, Jesus. yeah, his. Pulisic showing us that even though he's a smaller player, can be a very big threat with headers, so which is completely shocking. There's the, there's the video of him at with the Bamiyang at the Dortmund training ground dunking in like their uh, their training room or something. And I mean, I don't know if it was a ten foot rim or not, but I mean, it looked pretty close to a ten foot rim. Like he can definitely get up. I don't think this is like a yeah. coincidence. Like I don't think he's a prolific, you know, like. Obviously, I mean, nobody's really like that kind of pro- pro- prolific header right. of the ball anymore, except for Ronaldo. But my thing was more about the way he controlled the header. So yeah. the header against Burnley was a no look backwards header where you just needed the right amount of touch. It was something similar this time where you hit it differently. That ball's going over the crossbar. So it's just how well he kind of knows where he is mm-hmm. to and how much kind of. Placement and power, like placement versus power, he puts into it. So that, I thought that was great. Um, but bringing it back to like a Chelsea man of the match, I, I know I'm a, a huge fanboy. Uh, and at Dylan Lee kind of followed up and says, hashtag Kovacrude, that is all. 
I mean, I have to agree with him. I think Kovacic was my man of the match. I know Tammy had the goal and the assist, but just to run through these numbers, 135 passes, 95% pass success, 100% dribble success out of four attempted dribbles, two slide tackles, one interception, 11 recoveries. I mean, the man was everywhere. And whether it was on defense or or offense or in possession, he was involved one way or another. I they all he was missing today was that goal, and it, he took a shot and it was deflected. Like if this if Kovacic could get just five goals a season, I think that we would be talking about him as one of the very best players in center mid, like along the same kind of level that we talk about Conte. I really do think that shooting ability is the one thing that keeps us from putting him in into that elite, almost just world class level. Yeah, and because I mean the thing that he does so well is is dribbling out of pressure. Uh, like I forgot it was two matches ago when he just dusted two guys right outside of our own box. Um, like you said, the only thing that's missing is you know like the tangible goal scoring production that you can like put up against somebody else like saying, Oh, this is, this is what he does. And this is why he deserves to be in this discussion. Yeah. Um, other players that I, that I want to bring up to the table, uh, at Ron slash bone daddy, cool slash bone daddy deluxe. He says, can we just go over? He talked about Kovacic as well, <laughs> but the quality pass from Jorginho and, and his performance was, was more than the assist and we'll finish the talking point with that pass, but Jorginho, 117 passes, 93% pass completion, three chances created, and he also had defensive output with three interceptions and 11 total recoveries, but we have to talk about the assist. The pass. Now, the pass of the season has to be already, but the fact that he finally got to connect what he's been trying to do since the beginning of last season. What a freaking ball. Yeah, and first time too. Like, I mean, that's just the the skill to pull that off, and the, I mean, the run from Tammy too to recognize it. Like, it's just that's just one of those one of those plays where you just tip your hat and you're like, wow, like that's that's the potential of of this team, and that's some that's what Jorginho can do for you, and that's only gonna you know help him moving forward. Like, maybe he starts hitting that more often. Like, that's obviously not that exact pass. Like, that's. That's not something you do every week, but the uh, the pass being first time is just so impressive, and I, like the the run from Tammy to recognize it, it's just so great to see, and it's only going to help him like moving forward to keep like you know he does this once, maybe he doesn't like sees that run again or that kind of pass again. Like it's just it's nice to see uh, him get definitely, like definitely. Stats. It, it's on tape now, right? So these guys. Yeah. You know, this is the first time that he finally connects it. I still think Tammy was one step behind of, of where he should have been. So we, I think he kind of stumbled into the success of the pass. Uh, I think now that, you know, we're, we're, couple, we're already, you know, roughly about a quarter into the season in, Jorginho and Tammy are now two of our solid, solidified starters. That, like you said, it's only going to become more natural. Tam, uh, Jorginho will now know where Tammy is. Tammy will know that Jorginho doesn't have to look up to know that he's already there. Uh, you know, there's a video that came out. I think it was Numi, Newman on, on Twitter. 
He does the tactical analysis videos. He posted the amount of times that Jorginho looked up before getting the ball to which then he found Tammy. It's just crazy, man. He looks up about five different times. When he gets the ball, doesn't look up. He already knows where Tammy should be going. And, and now the next step is getting the forwards and the wingers to get that recognition on the receiving end. But uh, I also have to give props to Tammy for that finish. It was a quality finish. Um, one last performance that we need to talk about, and it's more about a run of form kind of thing. Pulisic now has four goals in the past two starts in the Premier League. So we're not an American Chelsea podcast if we don't mention Captain America. Wow. The fact that I think he's got four assists and six – is it six goals to his name now? Oh, my God. I'm know. losing track. I think it might be the other way around. I think it might yeah, be closer to that. But the fact that he's already about to reach, if he hasn't already, 10 goal contributions this early in the season is insane. I need to apologize to Lampard for even slightly doubting his management of Pulisic. I, I mean, everything is working out for him right now. He's bringing the output that we always want out of our wingers. And, I mean, this is just the beginning. Just like he, he's just starting to mesh with the other starters, it, I'm, I'm excited for what more Pulisic can bring to the table. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like, all these players are so young, so as they're improving on their own, they're also improving playing with each other. And I think that uh, that you're really seeing that with Pulisic. Like I'm seeing him reach levels that I I was hoping he could reach. Like when he was at Dortmund, when you know, just as an American, like I was like, oh, if he can ever, you know, be a, a consistent contributor in the Premier League, like that would make me happy. And like I, he's he's. Like I'm really seeing the potential that the American media has had blown him up of having. Like the American media has mm-hmm. been like, this guy could be a world class player, and I was like, eh, like maybe he's just like really good for an American. But like now right. I'm even seeing like, no, this 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 kid has absolutely has world class potential. No, definitely. And you know, there's there's other players that I could talk about right now. Tamori. I mean, we've been talking about him forever. He's been just solid as can be. Asked quite another great performance. Keppa called upon late. He answered. Um, I do want to just quickly mention that Mason Mount doesn't need to be in the scoreboard to make his presence felt. I think that he's kind of growing into his role early in the season just because him and Tammy were the only ones scoring. I feel like people are saying that he has to score to, to be playing well, but... I I disagree. He has to be always ready for passes from the base of midfield to break that press. And that takes a lot of running and, and good IQ in terms of where you need to be. Um, so props to him. But before we finish talking about this match, I want to just talk about the circumstance around Jorginho's yellow card. So as we all know, this is now his fifth yellow card of the season, meaning that Jorginho will be suspended for the very next Premier League match, which is versus Palace. So, was this time-wasting event a stupid mistake by Jorginho, or was this just a cheeky play of the fact that with this yellow card, he will 100% start versus Manchester City, rather than risking getting that fifth yellow against Palace next week? What do you think, Bobby? Yeah, it was on purpose. 
Like hundred hundred percent, this was this was planned because it's way too easy for him. Like obviously, he's accumulated a few already. Uh, mm-hmm. It's way too easy for him to to get a yellow. You don't want to risk it against Palace. Like you might as well just you know get on with it. Get, get him his get him his yellow and make sure he's there for the city match. <laughs> yeah, I I agree because. That whole sequence just looked unnatural. Usually yeah. when a player is, is is wasting time, you're just doing it and you can tell the player's just being a jerk, like being a dick. Jorginho, he looked like he kept turning around and I might be talking out of place here, but I think the sideline and the benches were on that side of the pitch. Yeah. So I don't know if he was getting direction from the bench from Lampard saying, Hey, whoa, whoa, don't, don't, don't. Like, hold on just a second. Because we also just got news today that Conte's pretty much in contention to even play against Ajax, meaning yeah. Jorginho getting the yellow here might play into our hands to give Conte some minutes against Crystal Palace, uh, you know, a team that's probably outperforming their position on the table. You have a midfield of Kovacic and Conte in a double pivot. Not bad at all, for especially against a very counter-attacking team. You get Jorginho fresh because he has yet to get much of a rest this season against Manchester City, which will be our toughest opposition since Liverpool so far. I think that this was completely planned. It was a smart decision, if so. If not, it just, well, it works out to our advantage as well. But the follow-up question is, do you bring Conte back, even though we're not 100% sure what his situation is? Or do you give that spot to someone like maybe Billy Gilmore, to get a Premier League start. So, yeah, against yeah, against Crystal Palace, I, I would go Billy Gilmore. I'd, I'd give him a shot. I think that the midfield is strong enough to kind of help him out. Plus, like, I mean, he really hasn't looked out of his depth anyway. Like, obviously, it's a downgrade from Jorginho because Jorginho is a very right. good player. But I, I don't, like, Gilmore hasn't looked poor Um and on top of that, like physically, he's held his own. Like uh, in the in the cup match, I was surprised with how strong he was. Like he's not, you know, built like a big guy. He's not doesn't look like he's going to be able to hold people off. But he held his own with strength, and that's really the only thing I'd worry about. Because uh, I mean, he didn't look worried. He didn't look nervous. He didn't really make a bunch of mistakes. So, like, it, he's he's not going to be the one that costs us the game with a mistake. I don't think. I mean, I guess I should knock on wood. But that's all you'd worry about with playing him. You don't you yeah. don't need him to come out and play lights out. You just need him not to make mistakes because yeah. the rest and, of the team is playing so well. And I think it also plays to his advantage not having Jorginho there. I thought that him... He's very similar, yeah. Yeah, him, Jorginho, and Kovacic was too much of the same thing right. the, in that midweek Manchester game. So I'd be happy to do so. I think that... We will just see Conte, though, like the, the yeah, safe bet, the Vegas bet is Conte with Gilmore on the bench. My <laughs> a secondary thought of this is that, man, I just love that Barkley's not in the conversation. I know he's injured, and that's potentially why, but the more Gilmore plays, the less of Barkley I have to see. Yeah, because 100% we'd see Barkley either against Ajax or Palace, and yeah. that, oh, God, please just know. <laughs> I don't like yeah. like we've talked about it before. I would rather see Gilmore over Barkley, at, regardless of what the situation is. Definitely. But uh, last thing before we move on to Twitter questions, 
Zach just has to have the spotlight. He sent me his five talking points, so I agreed to read these out in the pod, so we'll just get to this. So number one, good Lord, our midfield is world-class. We still have ROC and Conte coming back, but for the love of all things good, we really need to get them their, uh, their own original chance. Interesting to see how Frank will set up the midfield next weekend without Jorginho. Uh, number two, I said a few weeks ago I was going to start detaching myself emotionally from him, and I'm sorry, I can't. He's brilliant, and to be honest, should be nicknamed Kurt. Happy to say Fikayo's bacon, Zuma. I love that man. Number three, Pulisic has always been back, backed by the Yanks, but this momentum he's building is just different. The kid has every chance to become world-class, something that we mentioned earlier. Uh, number four, let's take a minute to laugh at United, Arsenal, and Spurs. What a bunch of losers. Hashtag Emery in. And number five, I can frankly care less, pun definitely intended, if the ban is upheld or not, sue me. So this kind of just brings us into Twitter questions. Uh, I'll actually go ahead and talk about the ban a little bit. Um, we are currently in a situation where it sounds like midway through November, Chelsea's appeal for the transfer ban will be heard, and potentially we could get players in the winter window in January. So, question from one of our listeners. At High Plains Moron asks, do you see Chelsea needing to open the wallet if the ban is reduced? Bobby, what, what do you think about that? Uh, needing to? Absolutely not. Um, like, I, I thought about this today when I was reading about it, and what would you do like who who leaves yeah i like we're playing so well at the moment i wouldn't want to disrupt it um not in the middle of the season i think you know unless somebody gets injured between now and the window uh there's no reason and if it's an injury in the midfield we're we're kind of covered there so like Mm -hmm. if if you put a gun to my head and said you have to buy someone i would say it would be a left back but I wouldn't want to break the bank yeah. on one because you're going to pay a premium in the January window. So I don't know that it's really worth it to like go out and sign a left back. Uh, I like and, and Emerson's fine. Uh, Alonso is fine at times. He's been uh, fine. Yeah, yeah. Like he just recent, you know, his most recent performance in the cup match was right, not, right, not great. But but like yeah, I mean he's he's outplayed what I thought he was going to do this year. So and that that's literally the only place. Like if you asked me before the season, I would have said center back for sure. But I mean, I, for Tomori's just been ridiculous. So like that's yeah. Like I I just don't I don't know what you break up because you wouldn't buy anybody that's going to be a starter. No big names are going to be available. So it's not like you're going to bring in yeah. a superstar. So I, I just I wouldn't buy anybody. I agree. I, I don't think we we necessarily need to unless the table just somehow falls to where we're like. A point from first place. I don't oh, yeah, see. Yeah. I don't see the club thinking we need to buy now. I just think that the priority needs to be to get this squad healthy. Yep. Wow, what's cracked there? Sorry about that. <laughs> get this squad healthy because again, at that point we're gonna have depth everywhere. The only reason, again, the only reason I see us having to splash some money out is, let's say it comes out that Mishi just wants to be a starter and is ready to leave the club, and then we're yeah. looking for a second striker, or I don't know. I honestly don't know. Maybe I highly doubt Rudiger would make a fuss about his current place in the team. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I just don't see anyone wanting to leave this current situation. What I would potentially like to see is, you know, by January we should know whether willing or not is extend whether willing is extending or not, because I think that that's going to be a position that we could maybe jump the gun on and and pull kind of a a Pulisic transfer where we sign a player in January with full intention of him coming in the summer, knowing that willing is going to walk and and go to who knows Barcelona, Juventus, whoever signs him on a free. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there's a need to open the wallet because again, there as much success as we're having and as much as things are going well, I don't see us for, we, we have the money, but I don't see us. I don't, I don't know if there is a superstar talent that takes us to the next level that's available and within our price range in January. I, yeah. I thought about this. The only player that comes to mind, or two, and I've mentioned them before because I love both of them, um, is either Yusef Atal or or my favorite man in the world, recently anointed American Serginho Dest. I lost you there for a second, Bobby. Give, it, give me those two <laughs> names again. All right. Uh, I think that, for me, it would either be uh, Yusef Atal or recently anointed American Serginho Dest. I love both of them. <laughs> And I think that both of the, neither of them would start for us. I don't think either of them would take either of the two fullback positions. But mm-hmm. I think that they would provide quality depth. So if we were to buy anybody, maybe one of those two. I don't even think Dest would be for sale right now. I don't know much about it at all. But I mean, yeah. like really, I just there's no reason to break up what we already have going on. Yeah. Another question. This one from at Edel MZ One. Uh, this one's kind of interesting. He goes. If it's lifted, do you guys see the board disrupting the group by buying players behind Lampard's back? And I think this is coming from the fact that this is coming from the fact that under uh, Mourinho, Emanala was doing signings as the the sporting director for what the club had envisioned, not for what Mourinho wanted. Under Conte, same thing was happening. And then even slightly under sorry, he didn't get everyone he was asking for either. And that was now a, a Marina thing. But to be honest, I think there's been a general structure change as to how the club does business this season. Peter Cech is now involved as an advisor position. You've got, obviously, it's Lampard. There's now proof on paper that our academy can provide players to maybe be those rotational options rather than signing your Zappa Costas or Danny Drinkwaters. So I honestly can see us going back to the way we signed players in the mid-2000s. And Lampard said it himself. We're always going to be looking to better this squad. I don't think we're going to be pl- buying players for squad general squad depth anymore. If we're going to buy a player, he's going to be someone that's going to be fighting for contention as a starter from the moment they step foot in, into, into Cobham. So do I think that the club will do a club sign? I, I don't think there will ever be a, a club signing versus a manager signing while Lampard is still here. So that that's kind of what, what I think that the answer to your question is, is that it's going to be more of a united front when it comes to transfer windows. Yeah, and that's the hope. Like, I, I really hope that, you know, like, seeing all the, the academy kids playing well has shown that we don't need to buy, like you said, the Zappa Costas and the Drinkwaters of the world. 
and that uh, they'll just trust the youth to fill in uh, fill in the spots rather than you know going behind mm-hmm. the manager's back and and buying somebody. Yeah. Um, lastly, this one comes from Aurelius thirteen who says. This season is awesome, and I love the pod. That's all. Hashtag up the chills. All right, I just really threw that one up there for a boost to the ego. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, man. For everyone else listening, give Aurelius a follow on Twitter. He's a great, great fan. Extremely active on the online community. He's also hilarious, and if you like the Bengals for some odd reason like he does, you can also talk to him about that. So go ahead and follow Aurelius13. He's a great guy, and and maybe we'll get him on the pod soon also. But to finish off the podcast, we have a big match tomorrow. We literally just played them not too long ago. But we have at the bridge, Ajax coming to visit. Bobby, can we do it again? Can we beat uh, Ajax at home? Yeah, I I think we will. I, I You know, we're getting healthy. Everybody's in form. Uh I just think it would it would take a spectacular performance from them to come into Stamford Bridge and beat us. I think at the very least we get a result, we get a point, but I wouldn't be surprised if we got the win and I I don't know, I just I feel like we're playing too well right now to like not get a result from this. It just would take a lot for them to come in and win. Like I like I just don't I don't see it, and I don't. I, I don't like their back line, um, and with how well our, you know, all of our wingers and and Tammy's been playing, I think we're just gonna score. I think we could score three, and I just I don't think they're gonna score more than three. Wow, you you expecting that many goals? I I mean, they're they like to get forward. We like to get forward. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I like. I just don't. I don't see. I don't see how – I just don't like their back line. I really don't. And I know I just got done talking about Dest. Man. But if, he's just not a yeah. good defender. Not right now. Um, and he – I mean, Pulisic. <laughs> Pulisic almost sent him back to the Netherlands, and he never would want to play for America <laughs> again after what he did last match. But, yeah. But no, uh, I, I just – I don't I, know. I, just, I have that I have that same, same sense of optimism, to be honest. I – I know that they are going to come in with a chip on their shoulder. You know, they lost at home, and we were the first team this season to, to give them a loss. I agree with you that they are going to have to come out with a perfect uh, performance to beat us. I, you, You're right. Our defense has only gotten better. Our midfield kind of has this whole thing figured out. You know, we're going to go into it. I don't think Conte will start, but Kovacic and Jorginho can probably – go all out because maybe both of them will get a break at Crystal Palace or at least won't be playing. I mean, Jorginho's definitely not playing, but maybe Kovacic will get an early sub and he'll have Conte, who's an absolute workhorse with him by then. Uh, this would be a good chance for maybe hudson Adoy to kind of shake off whatever demons he has because, honestly, I thought he was kind of off this past weekend. I but he too, seems yeah. to do better in a European night also. And, I mean... This just has Mishibashuai super sub goal written all over it again. So, right. I, I I don't know if we're being victims of the moment or not, but I agree. I think we can get the three points and and kind of just separate ourselves from the bet from the rest of the group. Uh, I think this is going to be a huge match. I know that our form at Stanford Bridge this year hasn't been fantastic, but 
I think this is, if there's a time for that to change, it's now and, and doing it against a, a strong Ajax team as well. Yeah, I I just feel good about it. Like, it would be such an anomaly for us to go out and, like, not have a, a good match. Like, we've just been playing so well, and I just it just would be so weird to have a stinker. Like, to just yeah. not – weird time to have a stinker. Uh, definitely. Um as always, guys, give us a follow. I, <laughs> I'm closing this so harshly, but I, I just I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Uh, if you want to follow me specifically, I'm at SS Blues underscore CFC. Uh, Bobby is at Bobby underscore Toddy. Uh, yep. It'll give you much more than just Chelsea content. Also, <laughs> the CFC Blues app is now live. And they've been more than kind to feature us as part of their Chelsea podcasts links. So you can find us there along with all their other content. So you can download that on any of your mobile devices. Um, But before I finally close this out, I want to send our best wishes to to Everton midfielder Andre Gomez, who suffered a horrific ankle injury during their match on Sunday. Uh, You know, he finally found a home for himself after a tough time in Barcelona at Everton. So so hope he can recover fully and quickly to rejoin his squad on the pitch. Uh, yeah, just get well soon. That was awful to watch live on Sunday. Um, so, yeah, our thoughts with Everton and all their fans and specifically Gomez himself. And uh, apart from that, guys, thanks again for listening to the Romans Empire pod. And as always, like Zach likes to close out, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>